Emily Buckwald has worked as an editor, poet, teacher, and award-winning children's author. She's the co-founder and former publisher of Milkweed Editions. Buckwald has been honored with the prestigious McKnight Distinguished Artist Award, the Kay Sexton Award in recognition of outstanding work in fostering books, reading, and literary activity, and in 2008, the Ivan Sandroff Lifetime Achievement Award given by the National Book Critics Circle. Buckwald is also the author of the award-winning children's novel, Gildean. She's currently the publisher of the Griffin Press. She lives in Edina, Minnesota. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. My pleasure. We're here today in your beautiful, beautiful house to talk about the history of Milkweed Editions from the perspective of someone who would like to collect works from that press. So perhaps we could begin at the beginning. Well, the beginning was a journal. Uh, My collaborator and partner was an artist named Randall Scholes. Randy and I began uh, as board members at The Loft, which is a literary, a marvelous literary service organization, the largest in the country. And at that time, it was a very tiny organization. And we talked about the fact that there was no journal that brought together literature and the visual arts. And we had this strange idea that we should start one. And so we became a 501c3 organization, and we uh, persisted and we got a grant and so the first issue of Milkweed Chronicle came out in the fall of 1980 and immediately we had contributors because writers are looking for places to send their work mm-hmm. it was much harder to find artists uh, but Randy did and we had competitions and out of those competitions for collaborative work in art and literature, the first Milkweed Editions books were born a few years later. So we published the journal, Milkweed Chronicle, for seven years. Was Uh, this a quarterly or a...? Yes. Okay. Uh, We originally had the idea that collaboration was something quite wonderful that should be uh, fostered. And so we held contests asking writers and artists to submit work to us. Together? Together. As a a unit? As a team. The journal, which was a large tabloid format, each page was a little bit of an experiment. There were poems and art. Sometimes uh, Randy matched them up. Sometimes artists sent work on a certain theme. Each issue had a theme. People responded. Artists and writers responded to the theme. So if one or the other inspires, inspires and yeah, motivates the creation right, of the right. other. You know, we were interested in the ideas of early 20th century uh, people uh, in France. For instance, Franz Marc. The, the Blauer Reiter was a collection of work that came out in 1990. So we were very interested in trying to foster this back and forth. So we really began with the idea of design. The, the first actual Milkweed Editions book was The Poet Dreaming in the Artist's House, a collection of poems about the visual arts. Randy Scholes did wonderful pencil drawings uh, for that book throughout in the style of 
various artists whose work was being discussed by the poets. Uh, and so that was the very first book, and it took this idea of bringing these two art forms together. Then the next books, one was a collaboration between two poets, uh, another was a collection between a poet and a photographer. So, you know, we, we really had fun that way. Why did you settle on this jazz-like riffing? It was because we felt that there was a synergy there that perhaps you couldn't get from either one of these alone. And sometimes that was true and sometimes it was not. In other words, we were hoping for something that was more than just one plus one. We were hoping for an actual new creation. We then began publishing other books that didn't have that as their theme. We published a collection of short stories, and that was our fourth book. It received a full-page New York Times book review, and suddenly we were book, we really were book publishers. That and must have been a big thrill. It was very... Did that, that come out of the blue? Or you worked to get it? I know we really didn't. We, I mean, we did all the things that you do as a publisher to elicit review attention. But I think it was because the writer, Carol Bly, had written a very well-received book of nonfiction called Letters from the Country. And so when this collection called Backbone came out, people were interested in her, mm. interested in the writing. And so Tess Gallagher wrote this marvelous review, and it was really delightful. It was a great launch. Mm -hmm. So then we published both the books and the journal, and our board of directors told us, you're going to die doing this. You know, you have to come down on one side or the other. So we phased out the journal over the course of a couple of years and gave our subscribers credit in books, in Milkweed Editions books. Because both of us really are book fanatics. You know, we love everything to do with books. Randy was very interested in letterpress printing, as was I. And when the Minnesota Center for Book Arts opened here in Minneapolis, we both took courses in letterpress printing. And I quickly discovered how difficult that art is. You know, when you have eight-point type on your composing stick and it falls apart, you realize that if it were up to you, the Gutenberg Bible would never have been finished. Or maybe not even gotten very far along. Uh, because it requires tremendous dedication and skill and care and love. But, you know, those of us who love the bite of type on beautiful paper really enjoy the fruits of this. And we published some beautiful, a couple of beautiful broadsides. Uh, this didn't become something that we as publishers did, as Ellen Kornblum has done so very well, and I admire that work of his very much. The toothpaste yes, press, and then toothpaste later. And, and then coffee house. And, and I think that Alan has maintained that tradition, which is marvelous, because so many people have no idea <laughs> that this is the way printing began. Mm -hmm, They're mm -hmm. used to seeing it on a screen. The good thing, however, is that good type designers were employed by a number of, of the people who, who make digital type fonts, and, and so we're seeing huge collections of typefaces, the kind you could only get from the British Monotype Corporation or other places like that. And so we are seeing the history of printing come into the digital age, and 
people just take it for granted that they can personalize what they're writing by using a different kind of typeface. That's so there's, right. there's, there's good and bad, isn't there, with this new technology, as there always is? Well, yes, but you know, I welcome it because I think the more attention there is to the writing, the better, because people will investigate and they will, I think, be interested in the history. They will be interested in the background. And the more people who are actually writing, the more we will see that kind of interest continue and grow. Which is really what we're trying to do with these talks mm -hmm. with founders of presses like mm -hmm. yourself and, and experts on different publishing houses. So you mentioned a couple of broadsides, so that's going to be of interest to the yes. collector. Yes. But before we go there, roughly how many of the uh, original Milkweed Chronicles uh, were produced? Since they were, they were published as tabloids, we did them at a large commercial printing press, and we watched them roar off this press, several thousand. Heaven only knows um, you know, where most of them are. Now, as it happens, the University of Minnesota Library has the archives of Milkweed Chronicle and Milkweed Editions. They purchased the archives about oh, six or seven years ago. Great. That's a good yes. place where collectors could right. start. Yes. So they can actually touch and feel and, exactly. and, and sort of get an idea of yeah. what they like and what they don't like. So, so roughly there's, say, four a year times about seven, seven. years, okay. and they're very colorful. and Well, they began as very large, as I said, large tabloid sheets. And then over time we realized that this format, because it wasn't stable, Sheets would fall into the tub if you were trying to read, except at a, at a table. You know, it's like trying to read the times in a bathtub. And so we changed the format, and we made a large stapled journal. And we couldn't afford color throughout. The cover was very interesting and colorful. The interior was black and white. And that was not a bad thing because there are some wonderful art, some wonderful pieces of scratchboard or wood engravings or woodcuts or charcoal sketches. Now there was a wide variety of artistic media mm. that was used in the pages of the Chronicle. So the actual woodcuts? No, no. It was offset? It was offset, yes. 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 Oh, it would be wonderful to I was going to say, yeah. No, no, I wish I could, you know, yeah. I could say we could do that. But I mean, you know, we were a literary nonprofit, and we were scrounging to make the money for, you know, for our endeavors. Yeah. And we were very fortunate because the foundations in this community were interested in, in new artistic work, and we were funded by just about every foundation in town, including eventually the State Arts Board when we got big enough. When we went to books, you know, we said all the books have to have a design element. All the books have to be nicely printed. The typeface has to be interesting and appropriate for the material. The cover design has to be compelling. We paid attention to typography because we began with that aesthetic. As a matter of fact, for a while, our logo was Good Writing, Beautiful Books. 
how many books have been produced roughly? There were almost 200 when I left, so there would have to be, since it's been seven years, there would have to be quite a few more. But when I left, there were a million milkweed books in print. You know, there were books that sold 60,000 copies, which is a heck of a lot of books for a small literary nonprofit press. And we sold the rights to several, and, and they sold, you know, 120,000, mm-hmm. which is great because we launched the career of authors. And that was something that we loved doing. Within then that output, were there particular designers that you relied upon for more than one book? For the first few years, Randy Scholes did all the covers and the interiors. And then over time, we employed other designers. One of the things we wanted to do fairly early on was produce something that was a real work of art. And so, back to the collaborative theme, we invited a well-known writer, Patricia Hampel, and a well-known artist, Stephen Sorman, and asked if they would like to collaborate on a book. They were already friends, they are already well-known in their respective fields, and they obliged by producing a book called Spillville, a book whose text is about a trip they made to the hamlet of Spillville, Iowa, a beautiful small town. Its claim to fame was that in 1893, uh, Dvorak spent the summer there and composed a number of, of marvelous pieces of music, including the American Quartet, in which you can hear the song of the birds uh, that he heard. He also worked, I I learned some of the New World Symphony there, and afterwards he went to New York City where some of these works were premiered. He had really been regarded as kind of a bizarre personality, um, someone who liked to take his beer down to the river to compose and often fell asleep in the process. Doesn't sound so bizarre to me. No, it sounds quite nice. But it wasn't what you know people were expecting of an mm. upstanding artist, and I suspect that, that they were a little more hidebound and a little provincial, for lack of a better word. They were provincial at that point in time. Not cosmopolitan. No. I'm looking at the book now, and it's gorgeous. It, there are, well, it looks like sort of fine Engravings. wisps yeah, yes. of hair yes. make appearances throughout the pages of the book. The one that we're looking at right here, it's the hardback mm-hmm. version, a hardback version, but there was also a limited number A limited of edition, yes. We did 150 of them, and 75 went to the artist and author, and 75 belonged to Milkweed. What possessed us to do this, heaven only knows. We must have been insane. Uh, but we were still uh, excited, interested, uh, by this idea of artistic collaboration. Since we love fine printing and art, we thought, wouldn't it be magnificent if we could create a masterwork, uh, a piece of bookmaking that really could be in any major collection, and Spillville is in many major collections around the country. So you, you wanted to do something that, not necessarily that you'd be remembered by, but that you could say that you've done it. Yes. We never thought of being remembered by 
As a matter of fact, we hardly thought at all, or we would not have entered into a venture of this kind. Because it clearly, it's difficult to get the return on your investment yes. in something like that. Yes. What we did was we decided that we would have a reader's edition, which is a vertical book, and we would have this landscape format, which is the fine press limited edition book. And you've seen it. It comes in a box that was specially made for us by the Museum Box Company. This beautiful blue box with gold lettering. And everything about this book was handmade. Another feature of of the book that I thought was marvelously ingenious was that every vignette that Patricia Hampel wrote had to fit on one of these large pages for the limited edition. And some of the pages were divided in half, half text, half art. Some were divided into thirds with a third text or two-thirds text and one-third art. But, you know, the design element was so powerful. The literary part of this was conceived in such a way that it worked with the design, you know, from the outset. This was a real collaboration of the kind we always envisioned, always hoped for. And the pages are exquisitely printed. Anybody who enjoys fine printing will see how beautifully they're done. And we have... We were terribly nervous because we had arranged a year in advance to have a reading at the Walker Art Center, a reading and a showing, where the art would be shown on uh, a large screen. And May was fast approaching. We were running out of money. You know, it was the kind of thing that you, you cannot imagine how difficult this is going to be until you do it. Yes. Um, and so it was a tremendous success artistically, mm. and the book was bought by many collectors and by many private, well, museums, mm -hmm. and the public library bought it. And it's still, you know, out there. There are a few copies. I think Milkweed still has some. 16 or 18 copies left. Yeah, so and get them while they still get are. Get them while they, they, you know, while they're there. Yeah. Because eventually, as time goes by, these will become more and more valuable. This limited edition was reviewed ecstatically by fine print which unfortunately no longer exists. And then the reader's edition was a New York Times best book of the year. It was reviewed in The New Yorker and many other places. Spillville is the name again of the, of the book. It looks like it's gone into multiple printings. Yes. Literarily, it's charming and it's unusual. You were saying that it, it worked. First of all, you had collaboration at the forefront of this project and the, the origins of the press. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it worked? I think because we had something that is almost impossible when you're trying to invite collaboration. You had two artists who really were large-spirited enough to give ground to one another. And it takes that kind of giving to to make such a thing really work. It's uh, not so necessarily compromise, it's more pushing you to higher levels. It might involve compromise, but you're always seeking to make that compromise work for the greater good of the of the final product. That's bang on for our collectors. What else then did you produce just putting on uh, the collector's cap? 
you've gone to the museum, is it the museum or art gallery? Mm-hmm. You've had a look at everything. I mean, you could get them all, which wouldn't be an overwhelmingly difficult no, task. No, it wouldn't. If there's something within the output that would make for a fun collection. Some of the earlier books that Milkweed Editions published with art by Randy Scholes would be very well worth having. There's a book by Jill Breckenridge called Civil Blood with marvelous scratchboard art throughout. It's about the Civil War. Very strong collecting areas, of course. I don't think there are that many of them around. Let me look for a minute here. There is a book that's gone through This copy is unfortunately yellowed. It's a book called Box Elder Bug Variations by Bill Holm. Bill Holm was a well-loved writer, raconteur, and a wit who took on political themes as well as poetry, who loved music, played the harpsichord, clavichord, and who was a teacher. And he once assigned his students the following task. His students said, nothing interesting ever happens out here on the prairie. Bill said, ah, come on, you can write about anything. He said, there was a box elder bug crawling across his desk. You can write about that. And he went home and proceeded to do that. And he wrote poems, essays, pieces of music about box elder bugs. He sent me a very large, maybe 300 pages <laughs> of his his work on the subject and uh, with a friend of his, a poet friend of his, John Rasmirsky, we whittled it down and came up with a truly charming book, again probably fairly scarce now, with art by Randy Scholes. Again, these are, you know, the early books. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not going to find anything else mm-hmm. like this around. Another thing that Milkweed did is in 1993, we began publishing children's books for the intermediate ages. And we embarked on a series that I think is really quite marvelous. Stories from where we live, and they're about different parts of the United States, and they contain both maps and wonderful art by Trudy Nicholson, who is a scientific illustrator. They feature the flora and fauna of each area. She really knows how to create the kind of art that children enjoy. These are line drawings. Yes. Gorgeous. Yes. And this series, we did, I'm trying to think of how many, maybe five. We wanted to do more. And I think the project is now on hold because, again, this is a hard sell. But, again, if a collector is looking for beautiful books that perhaps are scarce... You know, each as I said, each one has has maps. Wonderful. Yes, on the end papers. Yes, yeah. lovely. This felt so wonderful because it really spoke to that design element that is so important to us. And I bet you you could get these for not much money. I agree. They're all beautiful, and the stories are and poems are great. But as books, as objects, you know, they're marvelous. That's a great recommendation. Good. Stories from uh, where we live. Yes. Yeah. The Gulf Coast, the North Atlantic Coast, the Great North American Prairie, right. the Great Lakes. We did a few more collaborations. This one is photography and essays. Marvelous essays and photographs. Seeing doubles 
a yes. series. It's, yes. it's a series of collaborative books, mm -hmm. which is precisely right in your yep. wheelhouse, isn't it? Yes, exactly. I mean, this is who you are. It, we found that we had a choice to make. We were at a crossroads, uh, and Spillville, in a sense, forced us to make a decision. We could not finance this kind of book. I, I wish I had one that uh, yeah. wasn't sealed. The quality of the paper, the quality of the photography, we never did one of these that wasn't at maximum quality. That's, uh, so how many of these did you do? I think we did all together maybe four or five hundred of them. And so, you know, again, this is a limited mm -hmm. edition in a sense. How many in this particular scene oh, double series, oh, though? How many books? Um, just a few, because it began with the first two collaborative books of poetry, and then poetry and photography, and then this one. We came face to face with, what do you want to do when you grow up? And we realized that we wanted to keep the, the design element, but that we would be a literary press, primarily. So focusing on the content and right. in fact there's a little a book that I was given called Metamorphosis 30 years of independent publishing at Milkweed Editions Oh you see a lot of book covers there That's right on the uh, inside front And everyone cover. is a story of course Maybe I could get you to read the first page the foreword Milkweed plays host literally gracefully astoundingly to creation the milkweed plant is steady, enduring, strong. Its seeds, sown by the wind, quietly launch beauty. Its stems are home to the transformative chrysalis that births the butterfly's dancing flight. Just as the milkweed plant is the site of metamorphosis for butterflies, milkweed exists as a source of publications that transcend boundaries and foster transformation. Milkweed's mission is to identify, nurture, and publish transformative literature and build an engaged community around it. With nearly 2 million copies of some 250 titles in circulation, this mission remains as vital today as it has been enduring. That was fun. <laughs> so this is available too. Uh, oh, yes. It, this is yes. uh, square-shaped paperback book that just simply talks about what you've done over the over the last uh, 30 years. Yes, and that was done by our our publisher at this time, Daniel Slager, uh, who has been the publisher now for five years. I was really delighted to see something come out as a 30-year anniversary tribute, I guess, to literature. I think keeping a literary nonprofit press in existence is not a light task because it involves fundraising. We're not just talking about acquiring, editing, designing, printing, marketing. We're talking about, you know, the money to keep things going. And, and that takes a tremendous effort. The money to keep things going because you need to break even. Right. Exactly. So it's very difficult because what? You are basing your decision to publish not on the marketplace, 
but on the quality of the literature. Yes, right. We find the books that might make a difference, that are transformative, and then we figure out how to sell them. Quite the opposite of what commercial publishers do. Well, that's a wonderful opportunity, isn't it, too, for anyone in publishing to not to worry about how many you're going to sell, but to really identify what you think is great. Yes. And then to try to to market it so that others find out about it. I think it's tremendously important for nonprofits to find a way to reach their audience. I mean, you can do the most wonderful work in the world, but if you don't reach out, no one is going to know about it. So, you know, marketing has to happen. You have to find a creative way to let people know what you're doing. Well, that takes us to the next stage, which really is the electronic book. Mm. Again, lots of positives, but some negatives, too. Sure. Perhaps, and I'm speaking with Emily Buckwald, the founder of Milkweed Editions, I wonder if I could just get your thoughts on where we're headed. Well, first of all, one cannot hold anything still. One moves forward. Things are developing and changing, and as you know, only change is a constant. What I'm seeing that I find heartening is that after going through a period where reading seemed to be dwindling, we are seeing a resurgence. And I think it's because kids love something that is different, something that allows them to read in a way that a a book hasn't provided up until now to get their content on a screen and they begin knowing how to use a screen when they're very young so that by the time they begin really reading books, it's very natural for them to read on a screen. And the quality of the interface continues to improve. To see these new tablet computers that make it possible to have colorful art, to have children's books, for example, available. I mean, I think that's exciting because it's going to increase readership. Those of us who will never want to do anything but read an actual book can also be happy that others are reading, getting their content in another manner. And so I I feel that, in a sense, we ain't seen nothing yet. I think that that interface is going to continue to develop and beguile us in in new ways. And who knows, there may be something coming that allows you to have textual, a feel for a page, to have the texture of letterpress. You know, we have no idea what may be possible, how the field of literary reading is going to be reinvented. And I find that quite exciting and fun. You know, I now see people reading on their Kindles or their iPads or or whatever they're using in all sorts of places. For instance, just the other day in my hammock down below, my husband was reading on an iPad, which is astounding because he's never been a friend of computers, and yet this is a way for him to enjoy reading. It's delightful to see that. And the other thing that's interesting, too, is that there's a real boom in 
letterpress printing now. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there seems to be quite a renaissance. Mm -hmm. Speaking to Alan Kornblum, back in the day when he yeah. became excited about letterpress printing, mm -hmm. he was able to get a press for two or three hundred dollars. Right. Now you can't find them. Really? Because so many people are interested. We so, had one too, as a matter of fact, we being Randy Scholes and I at the, in the Milkweed offices. You did the, the uh, letterpress broadside we, early on, correct? We didn't do them on our press. Okay. We, we did them, the Beeler Press ran one particularly beautiful broadside for us. It's called Milkweeds by Madeline Springnever. It's exclusive. And is it promoting the press? No. 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 It's just something she wrote about milkweeds that we love. And we took part, both Randy and I took part in helping to print it. It was great fun. Did you sign it? Yeah, we did. We signed it. So those signed broadsides are, are out there. And they're quite lovely. As a matter of fact, milkweed has some. Not many, but they have some in their archives. I don't even know if they realize that they have them. At the office. At the office. Well, yep. there. Mm -hmm. So. Somebody should pay attention to that. Great. Well, thank you very much for uh, paying attention to my questions and answering them so well and for uh, putting all of your passion and effort into, into a, a wonderful uh, exercise and a wonderful press. Thank you. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking about the books. I've been speaking with uh, Emily Buckwald, who was the founder of Milkweed Editions and also now the publisher of the Griffin Press, which is... A children's picture book press dedicated to animal issues. In other words, not the Disneyfied animals you will find in most children's picture books, but beautiful art and simple texts about issues that people who care about animals want to see addressed. Well, and those, those sound pretty collectible too. I think they are very collectible. Uh, and many of them have won major awards in the last few years. Great. Well, something else for our listeners to pay attention to as they go into... And they're hardcovers. Very good. Thanks again. My pleasure.